Um, I'm glad you're here. It's like everybody decided to show up today. That's good. Um, we're working our way through the Gospels, and we're getting to this point. It's still Thursday night because it's dark outside. I don't know how long we've been on Thursday night, but it's been a long time. But uh, we might see the light of day today, so uh, it's a good thing. But we're, we're going back, and there's something about Peter that just intrigues me because he's the, he's the impulsive character. He's the guy that jumped over the side of the boat. It's like, yeah, I'll walk on water. Jesus, I got your back, takes the sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus looks at him like both times, just like, come on, Peter, you know. Uh, but you have to go back to what Jesus prophesied back in Mark chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, to Peter, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. His personality was one that would say, there is no way. I'm as loyal as it gets. No one is more loyal than me. And Peter's like, that ain't going to happen. Now that you said it, I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen. You know that, right? You guys get to hear that all the time, and like, I can prove you wrong. Well, this morning, we're going to work our way through that. We're going to jump through, we're, as you know, these last 75 weeks, we've been working through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're taking them, and we're putting them in chronological order, which means sometimes we have to jump back and forth through the different books, and we'll do a lot of that here this morning. Just hang with me. Matthew 26, 58 says this, Peter was following him at a distance. What has happened here since Jesus made this claim is he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, 11 of them, because Judas had already like bolted, and he's praying with them, asking them to stay up, they fall asleep, that whole thing. Then a Roman guard comes, 400 Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, Judas kisses Jesus, saying that this is the, the right guy. They arrest him. They take him before Annas. They take him before Caiaphas. All that has occurred. And Jesus had said to the disciples, before the night is over, over you guys will scatter. And as soon as they arrested Jesus, the disciples all scattered. They left. They got out of there. And there's a good reason for that because... They needed to be protected so they could carry on this gospel message, this good news. But Matthew 26, 58 says this, Peter was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. Now jump to Mark 14, 54. It says, Peter followed at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. Those of you that were with me in Israel in April, we stood in that very courtyard that is believed to be Caiaphas's courtyard. 
Luke 22:54 says this, they seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. I believe, based upon what it says right there, as the disciples scattered, Peter was probably the first one to like scatter but come back to Jesus. Obviously, if he's standing there in the courtyard waiting to see what happened, he bolted from the Garden of Gethsemane, but he returned to find out what was going to happen to Jesus. He was probably the first of the disciples. Well, there's probably a second one too as we read John chapter 18, verse 15. It says, Simon Peter was following Jesus. John confirms that Peter was pursuing Jesus probably first, as was another disciple. John says, okay, there's Peter, but then there was another disciple. It's there's a precedent that is set here by John as he often refers to himself, but he never names himself. He never says, I was the one. I was the one that got there. I was Jesus's beloved. I was the one that Jesus cared about. I got to the grave before Peter did. He never says that about himself, but we believe that Peter and John both returned to Jesus. It says that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Believe it or not, women were often the gatekeepers. We'll see that again in Acts as we get there eventually. And then it says, Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple, that being John. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Now, if you remember back in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter took the sword, picked it up, and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And of the four Gospels, only one of them called him out by name, and that was John. He said, Peter cut off Malchemus's ear. Well, how else would John know the high, the, the high priest servant's name other than his family has got a close relationship with him? How else could John got the gatekeeper to let Peter into the high priest courtyard unless John had a relationship with the high priest? We believe that somehow John and his family had a relationship with the high priest Caiaphas. Therefore, he got both himself and Peter into the high court, the high priest court. Now, uh, look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. This is when you get into Peter's denials and trying to figure out did Jesus really fulfill prophecy here by saying this, and did it come true? Verse 69 of chapter 26 of Matthew says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, Caiaphas's courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, You are with Jesus, the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. He's like, I... 
don't know what you're talking about. This girl looks at Peter and says, I know that you are the one that was with Jesus. And he says, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. It's just a, a simple denial. That was all there was the first time. Now I turn to Mark chapter 14, verse 66. It says, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. It's interesting, you see, because the New Testament is formed by several different Greek manuscripts. And some of the Greek manuscripts leave out a rooster crowed. For those of you that are reading the New American Standard Bible or the New International Version Bible, it doesn't say a rooster crowed. But if you look in all the other versions, it says right there, a rooster crowed. Interesting fact. So now the rooster has crowed one time, and he's simply denied Jesus one time. Turn to Luke 22, verse 55. It says, They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. There's two denials. Let's look at this denial a little bit further. Those happen back to back. The first one and the second one happen back to back. Go to Matthew 26, verse 71. It says, when he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene, and again he denied it with an oath. He says, I don't know the man. That's different than the first time when he says simply, I don't know what you're talking about. It was just a simple denial. The second time he says, I don't know the man. And it's an oath that he's made. Two different times now, Peter has denied knowing Jesus. Now jump back to Luke chapter 22, verse 59. It says, about an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's a Galilean. This occurred an hour after the first and second denial. Now we have three denials by Peter. Go to Mark 14, verse 70. It says, But again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, You certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. His first denial was just a simple denial. His second denial was done with an oath. And now his third denial is done by swearing. He literally swears against this word. 
And then we jump back to Luke 22, verse 60. It says, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, immediately, I don't know what you're talking about. While he was still speaking, a rooster crowed for the second time now. Peter denied him three times. The cock crowed three times. There's a reason a rooster crows. Why is that? Because daylight has come. It's a new day. The rooster crowed, signifying daylight has come. It is no longer Thursday night, people. We have moved on to Friday morning. And then we get to verse 61. It says, Then the Lord turned around, and he looked at Peter. Peter says, there's no way I'm going to deny you. I'm loyal. You're my bud. won't deny you. Peter denied him three times. The cock crowed. Prophecy was fulfilled right there. I don't know what that look was that Jesus gave to Peter. I think if I honestly came out here and asked you what that look was that Jesus gave to Peter, I'd probably get a room full of answers. And it would all be dependent upon your perception of Jesus. Now, as for me, I'm looking at Peter, a dude that's pretty loyal to his Savior, pretty loyal to his Messiah, doesn't want to blow it, knows that he blew it. And as soon as he heard that rooster crow, he probably took his cape and he just wanted to hide. But what it says is, he caught Jesus' eye. And Jesus looked at Peter. And you go, what does that look? As for me, I think Jesus gave him the look like, Peter, it's all right, buddy. You're all right. You're okay. Get your head up, Peter. There's no reason to hide. I still love you. You go, it was just a look. Yeah, but that, you know the look. The look says everything. Had to be it. Had to be it. Else, Peter walks away defeated, discouraged. Verse 63, it says this. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. 
This is just after Jesus looks at Peter and says, after blindfolding him, they kept asking, asking, prophesy, who was it that hit you? They are literally making fun of your Messiah, your Savior. They've blindfolded him, slapped him, and now they're going, now tell us who slapped you. If you're so smart, if you're really the son of God, Tell us who hit you. And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. Verse 66, when daylight came, it's Friday, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before the Sanhedrin. You're sitting there like going, I thought they already brought him before the Sanhedrin. They did, because the Sanhedrin is the one that needed to like convict him of something, but they brought him in the middle of the night. In just the last few weeks, we've talked about 22 rules that the Sanhedrin broke that were their own rules in trying to arrest Jesus. So now they're trying to rectify all that they've done. We can do this in daylight. We couldn't do it in the middle of the night. Let's make this right. So we're going to bring him before the Sanhedrin one more time and prove that Jesus has blasphemed. It says in verse 67, they said, if you're the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, if I do tell you, you will not believe. <laughs> you know, Jesus would always say things and there would be so much more truth to it than was ever realized. It, you, you see, I've been teaching the Gospels now for the last 75 weeks up here. And I've still got people that are coming here that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Not my problem. But I sit here and Jesus did all these things. He did all these miracles. He, he even did the, the miracles that they expected the Messiah to do. He did all that. And yet they still don't believe that he's the Messiah. Let, let me bring this home for you. He says, you're not going to believe me. I know we have a lot of parents out here. And as a parent, you try to teach your children lessons. Sometimes the same lesson over and over. Do they learn the lesson? Quit elbowing your kids. Do they learn the lesson? Yeah, sometimes they learn the lesson. Sometimes they hear you. But sometimes, parents, you even did the same thing. You had to learn the lesson on your own. And you watch because you know what's going to happen. You know what the outcome is going to be. You know what they're missing out on. You know the consequences of their decisions. You know all this stuff but you pretty much have to let them make the decision. And this is where Jesus was. He's like, I can give you the answer, but you're not going to believe me. I can tell you what's going to happen, but until you get there, mm, 
I keep teaching and teaching and teaching, knowing that it's not my responsibility for you to get this. I teach my kids, I teach my kids lesson after lesson. You know, honestly, one of the reasons uh, we record this whole message is that someday I'm going to be gone, and I hope they'll, they'll go back and listen to these messages. That's it. You may think it's for your purpose, but honestly, it's for my two kids. That they'll know what their dad taught. They'll be able to go back to it, be able to listen to it, be able to hear it. What he really believed about Jesus. But here's the real frustration as a teacher. All they've been taught, all you've been taught, some of you hold on to it very tightly. Like, it's hard for you to change your mind about what you believe. It was hard for me. I, I, I got all the training. I grew up in church. I grew up at First Baptist Church, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University. I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was teaching students for years. And Keith's like, let's go to breakfast and uh, challenged me for a year on what I was teaching. Still challenges me today. I'm all right with that. I'm good with that. But after going through a period of crisis in that year of 2000, 2001, I find there was finally a, a breakfast where I came to him and said, okay, as the seminary trained staff member, I'm wrong and you're right. Like, I had to say everything that I once held tightly, now I'm not so sure about, and I have to, like, relearn everything. And honestly, I'm in the process of that still. I still unpack bags, what I was taught, and what I need to learn, what I desire to learn. Uh... It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like this. What if, what if like your, your family meal, I'm talking about the parents here, the older, uh, my age people. <laughs> older, I refer to myself. Uh, what if the only thing that you served at dinner time was what your parents, your mom made for you? What if that was the only meal that, you ever ate. You're sitting there thinking now, some of you are reflecting back going, okay, I can remember three or four meals that my mom always made, right? And you know what she made with them. And it's like, you pretty much had the same thing. Kids. You know what I missed out on? I missed out on fajitas. <laughs> There was no fajitas back in the 70s. <laughs> there was no jalapeno poppers. 
There was no green egg that you, you made pork on all, you smoked pork on all day long and then pulled it and had it for dinner. There was none of that. But if I held tightly to what my mom fixed me every night, I'd be eating breaded pork chops once a week. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? Like, the time has changed, obviously, when it comes considering food. But if that's all we know, if that's all we know is what our parents taught us, you're probably going to miss out on a lot of things. Think about this, adults. If that's all you know, what you learned growing up in church, Sunday school, vacation Bible school. Granted, I had some great teachers. Mr. Thompson, best seventh grade Sunday school teacher I ever had in my life. I had some great teachers. But if that's all that I learned was back then and I held on to it now, and I didn't ever grow, man, I'm missing out. There's so much more if you're just willing to learn. And if you, here's my frustration, is if you try to have conversations or you try to teach religious people. <laughs> really, sit down over lunch and tell a religious person that God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jews and not to the Gentiles. See how that goes over. <laughs> just simply try to tell a religious people that they're completely forgiven. Literally, tell them Jesus died one time on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he took care of all the sin all the way back from Adam all the way to the very end. All sin, past, present, and future has been taken care of one time. Jesus died on it. Just try to tell that to a religious person. Jesus says, I can tell you, but you're not going to believe. Try, try to teach a religious person that judgment for the believers is going to be a good thing and not some kind of punishment. That's one that I was taught at a young age. It's Try to tell a religious person that God not only sees you as forgiven, holy, righteous, blameless, and perfect, but he made you that way. There's a difference between seeing you that way and actually making you that way. And that's what he's done. Have that discussion. You're telling me I'm perfect? absolutely I'm telling you you're perfect. Not because it's my opinion, because that's what the Scripture says. Because that's what Christ did when he was on the cross. He perfected me, my soul and spirit. Yeah, I still sin. But I'm perfect. Because he made me perfect. They won't listen to you. Jesus tried. 
And that brings me comfort. If they're not listening to Jesus, what makes me think I can change them? I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not going to change your opinion. If anybody does that, it's going to be the spirit that does that. But the real issue is this. They choose not to listen to Jesus. I want to choose to listen to Jesus every day. Those Jews, those Sanhedrin, the high priests, the elders, the scribes, all those that gathered right there thought what they had was good enough. It can't get any better than our little system that God gave us right here. God surely wouldn't change that whole system. Oh, yes, he would. It's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant with the new covenant making the old covenant obsolete as it says in Hebrews. It's exactly what's happened right here. Jesus says, look, I, I'll tell you, if I do tell you, you're not going to believe it. He says, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand, the power of God. They didn't have a clue what that meant. Really? Why? Because they chose not to believe. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. <laughs> he said it. Did you hear it? He said, I am. He said, I am. They're all sitting there like, we got him. He said, I am. He says, why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. And then... Quickly, as we close up here, just go to Matthew 27 on. It says, When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Huh. Took him to Annas took him to Caiaphas, left him in Caiaphas's house, went back to the Sanhedrin. Now we're going to take him to Pilate, who's the governor of Rome. It's a big deal. This is kind of a working relationship between the Sanhedrin and the Romans. You see, the Sanhedrin needed the Romans to kill Jesus because if they killed him, then everybody would be mad at the Sanhedrin. Can't have that. And the Romans needed the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin was going to control the Jewish nation with all the rules, the mission of the law, and everything else. You couldn't have chaos, so we need the Sanhedrin. They needed each other. 
Now the Sanhedrin says, well, we've been actually taking the rights away to, to, to capital punishment. The Romans won't let us do it anymore. That's proven in history. Go back 40 years previous from the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and you can see that the Romans took away that authority from the Sanhedrin. They can no longer practice capital punishment. So now we have to have the Romans do this for us. So they take him to Pilate. And that's where I'm going to leave you today. Is they take him to Pilate. But I leave you with this. How tightly will you hold on to what you believe? I'm pretty secure in what I believe based upon what I read in the Scripture. I'm willing to listen to your discussions. But based upon what I read in here, in all 66 books, that they all work together, flow together, and make sense, not just taking a piece of Scripture here or a passage here or, and making an opinion or a point, but making it all work together... I'm pretty secure in what I believe, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I know there's more goodness out there, and I want to partake of. Father, I pray that uh, you continue to teach us, that you continue to unpack this with us, that it's not just... me spouting off opinions or thoughts, but truly uh, your spirit's moving among this group right here, and I trust your word with them, with you, that you would teach us all the days of our life, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.